Hey everyone, this is Sellers. And this is Stormy. And And this this is is Unforgotten. Unforgotten. Where each episode will highlight unsolved missing, murdered, and suspicious death cases in Alabama in order to raise awareness and hopefully obtain some answers for victims and their families. Please remember that any individual referenced in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. And any opinions or views expressed in the podcast are solely those of participants. Listener discretion is advised as some of the content discussed in the podcast may contain violence or graphic descriptions and may not be suitable for all audiences. Be sure to subscribe to our Patreon channel for early access to unforgotten episodes and bonus content. Your subscription will help support the efforts of ACCA in assisting families in raising awareness for Alabama cold cases. Hey guys, and welcome back. Hey Stormy, what do you call a dog that can do magic? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. A Labracadabrador. Oh, wow. (laughs) That almost sounds like Harry Potter. Is this a Harry Potter dog? I just really liked the Labracadabrador. (laughs) That's pretty cool. I liked it. So we're hitting on episode 10 today. It's hard to believe we're 10 episodes in. Yeah, I was pretty excited and a little jazzed about that. Time flies when you're not sleeping. (laughs) I know. (laughs) <laughs> you think it dragged, but no. no. <laughs> well, we're really excited and we're so glad you guys are still listening. So we appreciate you coming back each week. For sure. So today we're headed to one of the third fastest growing counties in Alabama, Elmore County, home to more than 89,000 people. Or is it 81,000? I guess it kind of depends on which source you look at. Okay. Yeah, the the. Census Bureau says there's 89,000, but if you look at the Encyclopedia of Alabama and other websites, it says there's 81,000. I'm not sure where the extra people come from in the census. You know, maybe they just wanted to make it look good. Maybe so. Well, while Elmer County is surrounded by some other interesting counties like Autauga, Chilton, Coosa, Macon, uh, Montgomery, and Tallapoosa counties, We're here to shine a light on Elmore today. In the next two episodes, we're going to cover cases that have gone cold in this area. And we're starting in the county seat of Wetumpka, which might surprise you considering that it's not the largest city in the area. And just a couple of fun facts. The name Wetumpka was inspired by the Creek Indians' description of a point in Coosa Creek where the rapids were so strong they sounded like rumbling thunder. The name Wetumpka actually means rumbling water. Oh, wow. It's also the location of a roughly five-mile crater that was created by a meteor strike around 83 million years ago. Yep. We're talking about a real-life impact crater here in Alabama. Well, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Last but not least, Elmore County is home to the largest man-made body of water in the world. At least... At the time, it was created, and according to LakeMartin.com. In 1962, Alabama Power finished construction on Martin Dam, which created Lake Martin, and then, of course, generated hydroelectric power. I hear that Lake Martin's actually really beautiful. A lot of people go there to vacation and hang out on the weekends, 
but I've never actually been and I really want to go. You're, if you do, you're going to have to tell me about it because this, I don't think this is the first time we've talked about Lake Martin. It's not, actually. But not everything about Elmore County is quite as fun. In fact, one of the most heartbreaking stories to come out of this area is the unsolved disappearance of Tracy Pittman Kegley. 30-year-old Tracy Pittman Kegley was last seen on April 26, 1998, at the BP station near the intersection of Highway 231 North and Redland Road in Wetumpka, Alabama. At the time of her disappearance, she was described as approximately 5'10 and 140 pounds with brown frosted hair and hazel green eyes. She was last seen wearing pink shorts, a white top with a flower design, and white tennis shoes size eight and a half. Tracy had pierced ears and a C-section scar on her abdomen. Her disappearance left her loved ones devastated and bewildered. To this day, Tracy's family and friends are still searching for answers. So we're going to go back to the beginning to piece together what we know about Tracy, her marriage, her divorce, and the events leading up to her disappearance. And it's not often you see cases that have as much activity over the course of the years as Tracy's has. And it's not necessarily that there's activity, but her family has been very active and very dedicated to finding answers. Right, right. And still no answers. Tracy Lee Pittman was born on March 15, 1968 in Montgomery, Alabama to Stephen and Linda Pittman. Later in life, Tracy began dating Greg Kegley, and in 1993, their engagement was announced in the Montgomery Advertiser, complete with a photo of the happy couple. Just three weeks later, on February 13, 1993, at 1 p.m., the couple tied the knot in a ceremony at Vaughn Park Church of Christ and started their journey as husband and wife. After their marriage, Tracy and Greg began living together in a home he'd purchased on Fairfield Drive in Montgomery. At that time, Tracy was employed at Alabama Reference Laboratories, and Greg was employed by Alabama Power Company. Three years later, on November 28, 1995, the couple welcomed their precious daughter, Peyton, into the world, and they cherished every moment with their new bundle of joy. I love hearing those those uh, beginning stories because they always sound so serene and, you know, full of life. And happy. And happy, yeah. However, Tracy and Greg's marriage began to falter, and the two decided to part ways in December of 97. We've talked about that before, that sometimes once kids come along and then there's life responsibilities, things just shift. Yeah, reality kind of sets in, and it's not, there's no more honeymoon. And it's not all that uncommon. And while it's not uncommon, we did go back to look at the court records to see if there was anything in there that would give us any kind of clue as to what may have been going on in Tracy's life outside of that that could have led to her disappearance. So the divorce petition filed by Greg cited the usual differences and incompatibility issues. Despite those issues, however, it seems like the two were on the same page as both parties signed the divorce papers on February 18, 1998, and the papers were filed simultaneously with the court on March 12, 1998, almost a month later. The divorce agreement stated that their two-and-a-half-year-old daughter would split her time equally between Tracy and Greg. Greg would keep the Fairfield Drive house, but Tracy would receive half of any of the equity that had accrued. Additionally, Greg would also pay Tracy's parents $2,000 
But the reason for that's kind of unclear. I don't really know why that was added in there. That's a little strange, isn't it? I've never heard of that before in an agreement to do something with their other family. Yeah, it seems like a an odd, I can't think of what I'm trying to say. Like an odd addendum? Well, you just don't often see things being paid to parents of the parties. No. I mean, I was thinking, well, if it was like an ongoing thing for like childcare, maybe, or something like that. But if it's just a one-time $2,000. But maybe it was one of those things where they had loaned him money. Maybe it was a down payment for something or. Oh, could be. You know, on like a vehicle or something. So Mm. I'm not really sure. And we don't really know how their relationship was, you know, meaning Tracy and Greg or either of their relationships with the other's parents or anything like that. You know, sure, that yeah. you can't read tone from the papers or the documents. Right. So you just kind of have to assume it doesn't look like it was a highly contentious divorce because there's not any arguing back and forth. There's not a lot of motions. It's literally the basic paperwork that you need to fill out and it's all filled out and signed on the same day and it's all filed together. Well, then that. Seems like definitely very amicable, at least. It seems like. In addition to the home, the agreement stated that Greg would maintain possession of the 1991 Chevrolet truck and that Tracy's 1995 Ford Taurus would be returned to him. Tracy had quit her job at some point before the divorce based on the forms that you have to fill out to determine child support obligations, but the exact timing of that is unknown. I'm going to assume it was probably around the time that their daughter was born. Yeah, and a lot of people do do that. Yeah, it's not necessarily planned to be permanent. It's just maybe a temporary thing. Mm -hmm. But again, that's just an assumption. Right. On March 13th, 1998, just five days after the paperwork was filed, Montgomery Circuit Judge John Cappell entered the final judgment of divorce, incorporating the joint agreement that had been filed. And he also ordered the parties to attend the Families in Transition course in order to assist parents in helping children through divorces. That's pretty standard, and it doesn't mean or imply or indicate that either of the parents were poor parents or that they weren't getting along or anything like that. I think it literally is ordered to any couple that are is going through a divorce that have children. Yeah, I, I know it's pretty common anyway. For sure. But what was kind of odd about it is that there's obviously no certificate for Tracy, um, which we'll kind of get into the timing of that as far as her disappearance later. But there is a certificate for Greg. Oddly, his certificate stated he'd completed the course on January 21st, 1998, which was before the divorce agreements had ever been signed or filed. But even stranger... (laughs) The certificate wasn't filed with the court until June 24th, 1998. Um, okay. That's strange timing. Um, isn't that... And if it was... My thinking is if this was a joint agreement, um, you know, they mutually agreed to divorce and to separate, then they could have agreed to go ahead and do the parenting course because... Maybe they knew that was standard. Yeah. But there's not a certificate for Tracy. So that kind of indicates that that part, at least, wasn't jointly decided. And that he kind of went 
on his own and did that before any of the stuff was ever even drafted, maybe. Yeah, I wonder if he had a lawyer that maybe advised him to do that so that there wouldn't be any question about custody when he got there. That's possible. I think it's weird. But why wait until like two months later? Because the you get the judgment of divorce on March 13th, and there's a standard 30-day waiting period that's set out by the Alabama law that the parties divorce isn't official until 30 days later. Right. But the order stated that it would be officially dissolved on April 11th, 1998. So why not file that certificate when the order came out? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just that things got kind of crazy there for a little while and they just forgot. But I think that that's also something that the organization that essentially puts on the course files with the court. It's not something that the parties themselves fall. It very well could be. Yeah, that's true. It very well could be. And if that's the case, then it's on them that they didn't file it. Well, assuming that there wasn't a typo, because, you know, it did say January 21st. It was filed on June 24th. Maybe there was a typo and he actually went on June 21st. Oh. Yeah. That's a thought. Now you See, that's smart thinking. That would actually make more sense and make it a little less odd. Yeah. Because the whole having it done beforehand is kind of weird. Right. Huh. Well, I'm very curious. I mean, it seems, it doesn't necessarily seem suspicious or malicious or anything like that, but it is pretty odd if it's, if the dates are accurate, it's odd, but that almost just makes more sense. Yeah, it doesn't mean there was anything nefarious going on, but it did add some pause to looking at those dates as to why that would have happened before anything had been filed. Right. So after her separation from Greg, Tracy was faced with the daunting task of finding a new place to call home. And with Greg keeping the Montgomery house, Tracy and her daughter moved in with her parents at their Lake Martin home near Eclectic. Tracy landed a new job at a dentist office in Montgomery and was excited to start her first day on April 27, 1998. Tracy was a devoted mother, and she was determined to build a new life for herself and her daughter. But fate had other plans in store for her, and on the day before she was set to start her new job, Tracy vanished without a trace. On Sunday, April 26, 1998, Tracy and her daughter Peyton went out to run errands in Tracy's 1993 White Geostorm. Around 6.30 p.m., they stopped at a BP gas station located at the intersection of Highway 231 North and Redland Road to fill up her car. According to Tracy's family, surveillance from the gas station actually captured Tracy getting gas, going into the store to pay for the gas, and then leaving. But what happened after that is still a mystery. The following morning, a local spotted the geostorm parked on the roadside near Old Georgia Road about two miles east of the gravel pits on Highway 170, and discovered Peyton still inside, unharmed but alone. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that she was in there all by herself. That's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, she could have crawled out. She, I mean, somebody could have stopped and took her. Yes, because... When investigators arrived, they discovered that Tracy's car still had the keys inside, it was in the auxiliary position, the radio was turned on low, and that her purse was still inside. 
Holy crap. And Sheriff Franklin at the time said it looked like she got out of the car and was going to be right back, essentially. That's bizarre. So it is really scary. And where was it again? Where was it parked? Or I don't know if you would call it parked. On the side of Old Georgia Road, which was close to some gravel pits. Oh, yeah, that's right. Huh. I was trying to... I was trying to picture whether it was actually on the side of the road or if it was like off the road, you know, um, like the other one where it kind of drove off the road, you know. Mm, it was parked. My understanding is it was parked partially off the road. Mm. Some of the wheels were on the road. Some were kind of off on the shoulder. So investigators believe that Tracy and her daughter were headed back to her parents' home. But a portion of Highway 70 was closed due to construction at the time. But a portion of Highway 170 was closed due to construction at the time, which makes it strange that Tracy would have taken that route instead of an alternative one, especially when you consider she was familiar with the area. Yeah, I was just going to say, wouldn't she kind of know where she was going? And assuming she probably traveled frequently through there, you would think, yeah, she would Mm -hmm. not have went to the road that was going to be blocked off. Right. Yeah. Law enforcement and volunteers immediately began searching the area on foot, and divers searched two flooded rock quarries nearby. However, the condition of the rock quarries were not suitable for searching. They had depths over 40 feet in some areas and murky water that limited visibility for divers. At this time, Tracy's family offered a $10,000 reward for any information leading to her location. And something that I think it's interesting is we won't actually see the state come in and offer an award that I've been able to find until 2018. Huh. So at least to my understanding, based on what I've read, the rewards from this point up until 2018 were all offered by her family. That's a pretty big um, commitment from the family. It is. And as you'll hear about, they increased it every year trying to encourage somebody to come forward. Oh, wow. Yeah. The public was extremely cooperative and provided a lot of useful information, and Sheriff Franklin said their office was following up on all leads. Sheriff Franklin told local media, Right now, we are treating this as an abduction or kidnapping. The following weekend, roadblocks were set up to question people traveling through the area about anything they may have seen or heard, but no new information emerged. So I have a question before we go. Mm-hmm. How far, what was the original date that they found her? So they left on a Sunday. They went to the gas station on Sunday to fill yeah. up her car so that she wouldn't have to stop that Monday morning on her way to her new job. Yeah, that's what I thought. So it took a so whole it was week overnight. for them to do a stop of traffic? They were searching the area, and my understanding is that was... A multi-day effort. They initially started in the area surrounding her car, and then that kind of expanded and included the rock quarry that was nearby. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I'm not exactly sure about because in a couple of the articles that I've read, there was a comment that somebody may have contacted Tracy's mother after this to say that Tracy's car was seen on a road by the rock quarries. So it's almost like maybe her car was seen at some point on Sunday evening by the rock quarries and that that's not the same location that her 
car was actually found in. Wow. But both of those are still on that road. Yeah. I guess I just can't get past the fact that she, this happened on Sunday night before she went to, you know, to do this before she went to work. So that's a whole other week before they start putting roadblocks up to question people. Seems like a long time. It does seem like a long time. And maybe some of the idea behind that was that they were out there doing the searches and that that road was blocked off. So I'm not sure how much traffic was traveling through that area at the time. It could be true. Yeah. Maybe there wasn't even an official roadblock, but maybe they were kind of slowing people down anyway. Who knows? But yeah, it just kind of caught me off guard that I was like, geez, that seems like a long time. We might would know if Elmore County called us back. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of May, rumors began to circulate that Tracy's disappearance may have been linked to the disappearance of Glenn Eddie Wingard, who was last seen on April 28, 1998, on Fish Pond Road. So, not long after Tracy was last seen. Yeah. She was last seen on the 26th, so two days later. Oh, yeah. Sheriff, it's pretty close. That is really close, yeah. Sheriff Franklin dispelled those rumors, stating the two people turned up missing on different days, and we can't even prove that they knew one another. Well, he elaborated a little bit further and said that Eddie actually disappeared in Coosa County, but that Elmore County was assisting with the search efforts due to the fact that his family resided in Elmore County. Okay, well, I couldn't find anything to say whether Eddie was ever found. So I'm not sure. Well, that is interesting whether, I mean, it may not have been related, but it is interesting that it happened so soon after. after I know it does seem like some pretty coincidental timing. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen very often that two, unless, well, I don't even want to say the word out loud, (laughs) but, you know, there's only usually one reason why people are found that close together unless they're related. So, and that, that seems like a stretch, so... In April of 1999, Linda and Steve purchased a billboard on the southern outskirts of Wetumpka on Highway 231, hoping to gather new information about their daughter's disappearance. The billboard displayed the Pittman's home phone number and Alabama SBI phone number. In an interview with the local media, the Pittmans made a plea to the public to please come forward with any information that could lead to Tracy's whereabouts. Linda told the Montgomery Advertiser on April 26, 1999, that law enforcement had drugged one of the three nearby rock quarries, but they had been told the other two were too deep. Sheriff Franklin told the Montgomery Advertiser that Tracy's case had been turned over to SBI after several months had passed with no new information. In that same article, Doris Teague, a spokeswoman for SBI, stated that Tracy was one of 627 people abducted in Alabama in 1998. Oh, my. Of those 627 cases, 492 had been resolved, leaving 135 families still waiting for answers. That's that's crazy. <laughs> that's a lot. And there's still families waiting for answers today. I'd like to see... How many of those actually are still out there that we don't know are actually still out there? To kind of cross-reference the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Kind of like Dallas County from our last episode. Yeah. You know, we were wondering about that list, too. So we still have a lot of researching to do on that as well. And this is why having a requirement to enter people into the state database is needed. 
because when they're not, you lose track. Yep. And this is important. This, these are people's lives that are being lost track of. Yes. And it just blows my mind. I, yeah. I'm going to get on a soapbox if we keep talking about this because I know. You, you know, I, I get, I totally get that law enforcement is busy, that it's really hard to do reporting, especially in the larger, you know, areas. I get, get that. But the importance of this, I just don't think that everybody really understands the importance of the reporting. It's not just numbers and statistics. It's actually accounting for the people that are missing. And okay, I'll and get off the general my public. Well, while the general public may not understand the full importance of it, mm-hmm. I think they do. But law enforcement definitely does. You would think, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have that whole show, the first forty-eight. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, law enforcement may, I guess, they may get a little um, calloused maybe to all these cases that they have. Um, You know, they have a lot to deal with, especially, again, in the larger cities. They have a lot of cases. But this is something I think that they just can't push away. They can't push it aside. They need to step up and start taking care of this problem. And just having these cases somewhere that people can see it, the public can see it, keeps that Mm -hmm. information out there so that people know the case is still unsolved. It still needs answers. The family still need answers. And that way, if somebody comes across it and they have information, they know to send it in. Sometimes they don't even know the cases are still open. Right, right. Which is kind of what Uncover is trying to solve by, um, you know, getting their database updated with as many cases as possible. Yeah. And if anybody wants to help with that mission, you can send in cases yourself you over on can. the Uncovered website. Yep. Go there. It it's a, a great site. Yep. It is a community effort. Yep. On February 4th, 2000, Greg actually remarried and married a woman named Sharon Gober Kegley. They exchanged vows in Montgomery County, and two years later, in 2002, the couple sold the Montgomery home Greg had maintained possession of after the divorce. In 2001, the disappearance of Chandra Levy, a Federal Bureau of Prisons intern, captured headlines across the nation. Linda, who knew all too well what Chandra's mother was feeling, hoped the attention on Chandra's case would bring more attention to unresolved missing person cases here in Alabama, including Tracy's. The sentiment was echoed by families of other missing persons in Alabama, such as the family of Philip Shelton, who disappeared on July 18, 1991. Right. I think we've actually posted about Philip's case on our page. I believe we have. That name's familiar. By this point, Tracy's family had increased the reward for information to $60,000. Linda told the Decatur Daily, I can take her clothes and still smell her perfume. It just makes me want to put my arms around her and hold her close to me. But I know I can't because someone took her away from me. In 2002, despite placing a billboard with phone numbers for tips, increasing the reward from $60,000 to $100,000, and setting up a tractor trailer with a photo of Tracy and contact information, four years had passed since Tracy's disappearance, and the Pittmans were still no closer to finding their daughter. That's... 
pretty astronomical. She, they are really increasing that reward. Just the family is putting that up still. That's what it looks like. Wow, I you said see. that they increased it every year, but that I didn't realize that it went up to a hundred thousand that fast. Well, I think that increase was just from two thousand one to two thousand two, and that was just a big increase that they made. That yeah. I'm not sure if they had certain increments that they had been using. There's mm-hmm. a few years in there where there weren't any newspaper articles, um, but they were increasing it in hoping that maybe somebody who could be motivated by money would come forward. Sure. But I guess there's a difference whenever you're motivated by fear instead of money, because somebody knows what happened to Tracy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, at least one person does. Yeah. In May of 2002, a tractor trailer with the billboard ad featuring a photo of Tracy and phone numbers to contact if you had information was set up across the street from the BP gas station where Tracy was last seen. A photo of that tractor trailer was featured in the Montgomery Advertiser on May 3, 2002, which also discussed a few other unsolved cases that you may recognize from the Alabama Cold Case Advocacy pages. George Eric James, who you'll also hear about in a later episode, was last seen on November 23, 1998 in Millbrook, and U.S. Air Force Captain Edward Sirio Consuegra was last seen on December 3, 1992 in Montgomery. At the time of that article, there were reportedly 928 active missing person cases in Alabama. Hmm. It increased exponentially. Yeah. Huh. Granted, this is over a few years' time frame at that point, but still, that's a lot of people. I'm not sure that we have that many currently, but I can't, yeah, I can't unreliable the reporting. Sure, but yeah. Despite Sheriff Franklin stating that there was no evidence of foul play in Tracy's case, Linda again made a plea to the public to come forward with information and express the unbearable pain of losing a child, saying, There is somebody out there who knows what happened to my daughter. It's terrible. It's absolutely the worst thing that can happen to a parent. When you lose a child, there are just no words to describe it. And it just broke my heart reading it. Yeah, I was just going to say that's heart-wrenching. All of these, every time I hear from my mom on one of these that, you know, she's quoted, it just makes me wonder how I would feel and and know that it would probably be something like that. But just how how you can never really understand it, you know. It is something that you don't understand, I think, unless you've actually been through it. Not fully understand, you can empathize right, with right. it. But while continuing to advocate for Tracy, Linda also began assisting the McGee family in their search for their daughter, Melinda Wall McGee, who was abducted from her Atmore home in March of 2003. So I saw that just a few minutes ago when I was looking through some things. Um, I was wondering about when we do finally cover her story. I think that was a good support system for both the families to have because it is like we just said, one of those situations that you can't fully grasp the emotions and the distress associated with that unless you've actually been in the situation. And to have people there with you who can say, I know what you're going through, I understand, and really have that support system, it's not a group that anybody wants to be in. 
I think we've talked to a few families that way. Um, there's a couple of people that we know from, you know, our page and that sort of thing that seem to have started. I mean, it's probably something that people have done for a long time and we just didn't realize until we really started communicating with them. But, you know, there are a few people like on our page, as I was saying, that do do this. And I wish that there was a lot more of them. Agreed. Kind of like a, a big And maybe there is one and we just have, that's probably something we should look at. It is. Yeah, that'd be great. Despite the tireless efforts of Steve and Linda, Tracy's case remained unsolved. The Montgomery Advertiser once again shared Tracy's story, highlighting the extensive efforts Steve and Linda had undertaken in the years since her disappearance to keep her name and her memory alive. Unlike previous years, the Pittmans did not install new billboards or discuss increasing the reward. Linda stated, I'm sure there would be something. If someone could tell me where she is, I'd give them something. And I think that's probably a some exasperation and discouragement coming through there that you've increased this reward every year and it hasn't really encouraged anybody to come forward. So it's just kind of hard in your mind to justify continuing to do that because it feels like you're getting nowhere. And this is something I guess I've constantly thought about as we've talked about all these cases and we've talked about even with some of the cases that we've been helping with, you know, do you, offer a reward? Do you not offer a reward? Is it really something that's an incentive or not? It seems like sometimes it can be, but it seems like there should be another way to make people understand just how important it is to come forward. And, you know, just the, the conscientious part of a person that, um, doesn't care about the reward, but realizes that this family is really hurting and they deserve to know, and it's hard I to know figure that's a out. Pipe dream, but I know because it's hard to figure out what would be successful in motivating mm-hmm. people to actually come forward. If it is, money yeah. can't do it, and their moral compass can't do it, mm-hmm. what will? Yeah, I mean, the only thing left, I think, is fear. Unless we can somehow change that mindset, but so I guess you have to be scarier than the other person. Is that it? <laughs> Sheriff Franklin said the initial search consisted of busloads of volunteers and law enforcement personnel searching a six-mile radius before the case was turned over to SBI. But he confirmed that leads had began to decrease in the past few years. That was echoed by Doris Teague of the SBI, who confirmed the case was still being investigated, but they'd received no new leads. For the next several years, there was little to no update on Tracy's case or the status of the investigation. The Montgomery Advertiser ran a few articles over those years highlighting unsolved missing person cases in the area, and they were always sure to include Tracy's photo and summary. And the Montgomery Advertiser seems to be one of those news outlets that does continue to try to raise awareness for missing person cases. They frequently pop up in the cases that we research, and I applaud them for that. Yeah, and it's not even just for Montgomery. I mean, it's for, we see cases all over the place that come out in the Montgomery Advisor. After nearly two decades, a major development in Tracy's case took place when a tip received in 2016 led to a massive search in the friendship community. According to officials, although the tip had been received in 2016, it had taken them some time to fully vet that information. 
On February 26, 2018, a search involving 20 law enforcement agencies, 17 K-9 teams, hundreds of volunteers, and half a dozen private companies equipped with advanced technology was conducted over an area of roughly 300 to 350 acres. The owner of the property was not considered a suspect, and we don't know what information was received in that tip to point them to this area. For the first two days, cadaver dogs searched the property. And on the fourth day, investigators found bones in a body of water located on the property. I think this kind of created some hope that they were finally going to get some answers. Right, yeah. The bones were sent to the Alabama Department of Forensic Science for forensic analysis. And from what we've been told, the bones were later determined to be deer bones. The property was described by District Attorney Randall Houston as a deer farm that was surrounded by a high fence, and he pointed out that several deer carcasses and bones were discovered during that search on the property. Well, that must have been disheartening. I was disappointed Mm. to hear it. It's not the outcome that anybody would want if it had proved to be true or if it had been Tracy, that would not have been the outcome anybody wanted. But when you have a family that's been diligently searching for answers for years, one thing that we hear is that sometimes it's the unknown that's the worst part. Yeah, for sure. I, Yeah. Aaliyah Captain Joe Herman confirmed to local media there were suspects in the case, but he wouldn't provide names, which is no surprise. He did, however, have a message for the suspects. We know who you are, and if you don't come see us very soon, we will be coming to see you. I have no idea whether they went to see those suspects. That was pretty direct, I guess. It was very direct. It makes it sound like they knew something for sure, almost. It does. It It sounds like they're just building the case, but all of these years later, there's been no arrest or person of interest named in Tracy's case. Not publicly, at least. And then, yeah, I wonder what made them say that and then not be able to do anything about it. I mean, even if they didn't talk to him, you would think they would have had something concrete that would make them say that. In 2019, in a follow-up interview with the Montgomery Advertiser, D.A. Houston said the, I'm assuming expletive because there were stars in it, needs to know justice doesn't sleep. We're going to continue to work this case for Tracy and her parents. They deserve it. And for the community, Elmore County deserves to see justice served. So these are very strong statements coming from officials. Yeah, very much so. It kind of, not a related case at all, but it kind of reminds me of how uh, the Delphi law enforcement was um, handling that when they were saying such direct and... um, just forceful almost statements that they were talking almost directly to the person. And obviously they had somebody in mind when they were making these statements. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why they never had, I guess they just never had enough information to actually move forward. At the time of the search, the reward for information was renewed. Governor Kay Ivey issued a $10,000 reward That was the first mention I'd seen of any governor offering a reward on behalf of Tracy. And that's also disappointing. Yeah. 
In addition, the Pittmans added $10,000, an anonymous donor added $4,000, and Crime Stoppers offered $1,000. As the years have passed, the pain of Tracy's disappearance has not faded for her loved ones. Their hearts are heavy with the weight of grief and longing for the day when she will finally come home. In a recent conversation with one of Tracy's relatives, their love and devotion to her was palpable. Despite the long passage of time, their love for Tracy remains as strong as ever. They shared a message of love and longing. We love her and miss her. But for the person or persons responsible for taking Tracy from her family, her daughter, and her friends, the question remains, why? Why would someone harm such a beautiful soul and leave her daughter without a mother? The family begs for answers, for closure, for the chance to bring Tracy home. For the family, the pain of not knowing where Tracy is or what happened to her is a constant ache in their hearts. The search for answers is a never-ending journey fueled by their love for her and their unbreakable bond, and they remain dedicated to finding the truth and bringing Tracy home. If you or anyone you know has any information about the disappearance of Tracy Pittman Kegley, we urge you to contact the SBI Crime Hotline, 800-228-7688. You can also submit an anonymous tip via the ALEA website using the link provided in episode details. As always, you may also contact us through our website at alcoldcase.com. Since Alabama Cold Case Advocacy's creation, we have dedicated innumerable hours to researching and networking in an effort to provide the largest platform we can to the cases we share. We shoulder all associated expenses with Alabama Cold Case Advocacy out of our own pocket, including the subscription fees for researching and production of the Unforgotten podcast to provide a cost-free avenue for the victims' families of those cases. We hope you will join in our efforts to raise awareness of Alabama's missing and murdered and support these families who have been forced to carry the immeasurable loss of their loved ones and the fight for answers. If you appreciate our mission and you are inspired to make a donation, your extra support will enable the ACCA to continue our research, share the cold cases, and help those families know that they are also unforgotten. Unforgotten is an Alabama cold case advocacy podcast recorded in conjunction with Riverside FM, hosted and distributed by Spotify for Podcasters, available on your favorite podcast platform. Intro music for the show was created by Principles of Uncertainty, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Content and production is by Sellers and Stormy, artwork by Sellers. Credits for music, sound clips, special mentions, and any source referenced in our podcast can be found in each episode's description. We hope you will join us on all the major social media sites and continue to raise awareness of our Alabama cold cases. Until next time, thank you for listening.